Welcome to the podcast where we answer the question, that's healthy? This is your host, Hope Brandt. Social media has really done a doozy on our perception of health and wellness, and I want to help set the record straight. Quick fixes and fad diets? Unachievable beauty standards? Extreme fitness challenges that leave you more broken than when you started? I'll pass. Taking ownership of your choices, treating your body and mind with respect, filling your life with things and people that lift you up instead of tear you down. Yeah, that's healthy. And that's exactly what you'll find here. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm just going to tell you right now, if it sounds like I have a frog in my throat, it's because seasonal allergies are kicking in right now. Um, I always start to lose my voice at this time of year, so just bear with me. Thank you in advance. And this episode, I am just going to kind of give a little bit of an update of my postpartum weight loss slash body recomposition journey so far. And I'm going to just kind of let you in on my mindset behind that and what helps me to be consistent and to continue persisting despite the setbacks, despite discouragement, and despite some unideal circumstances. So just for a little bit of an update as to when I'm actually recording this podcast, um, this is the my 20th week of postpartum. If you scroll back to this week on my social media, you'll see part five of my postpartum recovery series where I talk about the the movement I'm seeing on the scale, non-scale wins, uh, what exactly I'm doing to progress um, and continue moving this process forward. And MK is about four and a half months old right now, which, you know, this is so funny. This is things that you don't think about until you're a mom or I guess someone close to you is a mom. But when people would say their child's age in weeks, I was always like, <laughs> why? What the hell? <laughs> like, just tell me how old the kid is in months. Like, oh, she's 20 weeks. Um, Okay, then she's five months. But now, as I'm going through this, um, she's not quite five months yet. Um, some months have more days in the month than others. So the weeks start getting off the farther away from the birthday that you are. So yeah, she's four and a half months, but 20 weeks, um, she won't be five months old until November 21st. But anyway, that's where we are. And funny enough, um, I am actually the same weight now, 20 weeks postpartum as I was when I was 20 weeks pregnant. (laughs) And I remember being 20 weeks pregnant and thinking, oh my gosh, I've gained 18 pounds. And in my postpartum journey, I'm going to reach this weight and be super happy that I'm here. So I remember being cognizant enough to recognize that even though it feels like I've, you know, I've gained a bunch of weight and I'm not comfortable in my body right now being 20 weeks pregnant, on the flip side, when I'm coming back to this weight on the way down in postpartum, I'm going to be really thankful to be here. And I am. (laughs) I'm feeling more and more comfortable in my body every day that passes. And I really think that I'm continuing to feel 
better and better and feel more like myself, not because my body is changing. It's because I'm taking the action that proves to myself that I am who I say I am. And I, you know, am committed to prioritizing and valuing the things that are important to me, that I know make me feel my best. And so even if my body wasn't changing at all, I still think that I would be having a similar experience of continuing to feel more and more like myself. And I was continuing to do these things through pregnancy as well, you know, eating well, focusing on balanced meals and snacks, my PEC plates and two max snacks, continuing to move my body and and work out as best as I could. But, you know, pregnancy is just a whole different ballgame, especially when you get into that last trimester and it feels like your belly's just growing exponentially. Even taking a walk was a struggle. And so it's so nice now to just, yeah, be able to like get out of bed, be able to go on a walk, be able to work out and do all the things that I love doing that make me feel like my best self um, without it feeling like a physical struggle. So I want to kind of walk you through the process of what this journey has looked like so far and point out a few key things that I think are really important to recognize. The first thing that I want to say is just because I have my own personal experience with weight loss, with body recomposition, that's not what I'm, you know, basing my decision making and what I'm basing my coaching method off of, right? Personal experience is great, but it can really only go so far. It has to also be backed by science-based principles and evidence of what works and what is what's actually going to produce healthful outcomes with the least risk factor of producing any type of negative outcome with that. So what I'm telling you is not just based on my experience. It's also how I coach clients and it's based on my education and my outside experience of working in dietetics and, and working in nutrition coaching, you know, which is what I've dedicated my career to is being able to decipher science-based evidence and relay that to people who have not dedicated (laughs) their career to understanding and teaching about diet and nutrition. So just because someone has a personal experience with body recomposition or weight loss doesn't mean that they're actually doing things that are either evidence-based or low-risk in producing negative outcomes. So I'll circle back to before I was a registered dietitian um, and my whole Instagram presence revolved around being paleo just because that is what worked for me in the past. And, you know, I quote unquote went paleo and lost 30 pounds. And then to me, that was the obvious fix all, cure all for everyone which is not the case. (laughs) And since evolving from that point, growing in my education, growing in my experience, you know, I think that it may have been more harmful than helpful to spread that information, you know, without looking at the risk of, okay, what is this information doing to people? Is it, is it helping or is it harming? So that's a really important aspect to kind of judge when you're getting your nutrition information. So What I'm doing now 
is <laughs> evidence-based and does work hand-in-hand with my current education level and experience. So just to get that out of the way, I'm doing the exact things that I coach my clients to do, and it's not based on personal experience. It's based on what we know works and what is least likely to produce negative outcomes in the long run. Because a lot of times, the diets that people choose do not work long term. And yo-yo dieting for years on end is not healthy. That does produce negative health outcomes. That can reduce your metabolism. So what we want to do is try to approach this in the lowest risk way possible. And what that looks like is approaching it from a place of looking at what we can add to our routine instead of what we need to restrict. So this is why we always start with looking at that structure of PC plates and two max snacks. This is where I started in my postpartum recovery early, early days. The first couple months, at least until my six-week checkup, when I was like officially cleared to be exercising again and all of those things, what I was doing with my nutrition was only focusing on the PEC plate structure and two max snack structure and making sure that I was getting ample protein and produce every day. Just that right there helped me see some body composition and, and weight loss results in that first six weeks. But mostly I was focused on that structure because it was helping me recover I knew it was giving me the nutrition that I needed to be able to recover from giving birth um, and to be able to provide the energy and the, the nutrients that my body needed to do that. So the first six weeks, that was my focus when it came to my nutrition, PEC plates and two max snacks. If you don't know what those are and you're listening to this episode, you can find plenty of resources on my Instagram about that. Um, If you search the hashtags PEC plate and two max snack, or I have an ebook that's also linked in my bio that goes through what PEC plates are, what two max snacks are, um, and the pillars of a sustainable diet talking about balance, nourishment, and satisfaction. So that's a great resource as well um, if you want some more information on that. I mean, and I'm just always talking about it and I, I love to talk about it. So if you have questions about that, feel free to, you know, DM me on Instagram or reach out and we can chat. Okay, so then once I was kind of cleared at that six-week point, my focus of my nutrition shifted from just recovery to recovery plus body recomposition. So what that looked like is I started tracking macros. This is something that was really easy for me to add to my routine because I've done it before. I've done it several times. I'm very efficient at it. I know what I'm doing. I know how to track in a way that does not add stress to my life. It truly doesn't. It takes me maybe a total of 10 minutes a day throughout the day to track what I'm eating. It does not take me longer than that because I've done it so often. I weigh things that are a certain level of caloric density. So I weigh my protein because I want to make sure that I'm getting enough. It's very easy to undereat protein. Um, And I weigh any type of starchy carbohydrate. So that would be things like rice, pasta, potatoes, um, because those are a little more calorically dense. And then 
I eyeball fruit. I eyeball vegetables. I'll measure any type of liquid fat like cooking oil or nut butter dressing. But other than that, and then half the time I don't even like if I I made a, a wrap today that had shredded lettuce and pickled onions in it, didn't even bother putting those into my fitness pal because there's so few calories. I'm not tracking macros to look at my micronutrient content. This is where the PEC plate into max snack framework comes in because I know if I'm prioritizing enough protein from whole food sources and enough produce every day that I'm getting the vitamins and minerals that I need. I don't need to track all of these things and make it 4 billion times more tedious than it needs to be. I track macros when I have a body composition goal. That's what it's for. We can track macros for other things. You know, if we want to make sure that you're getting enough protein, getting enough food, find out where your maintenance point is. But it's called tracking macros for a reason. <laughs> it's macronutrients. We're tracking our protein, carbohydrates, and fats. Those are the big energy yielders in our nutrition. They're what bring calories to our diet. Looking at micronutrients would be a different process. So don't make tracking macros more complicated where you're looking at 4 billion different variables. Look at what we're actually doing and what we're using it for. To me, it is a tool for body composition improvement. And that's what I use it for. So I don't track things that are a negligible amount of calories. I promise you it makes it so much easier. I started tracking macros and it did not add more stress to my life. It actually takes stress off of me because I know what I'm doing is pointing me in the right direction to see the results that I want to see. If I was not tracking macros, you know, I'd be doing mental gymnastics all day to figure out if I'm getting enough protein. If I'm tracking macros, it's there. I can pull up the app and look at it. Boom, got enough protein today. I'm crushing it. And then you just move on. You don't have to keep thinking about it. So while a lot of people, or I think it might just be more common or more popular to say that tracking macros can produce disordered eating tendencies, maybe it does. Maybe it does for some people. But for a large sect of other people, myself falling in this sect, It actually creates less stress around my nutrition because I can look at it and know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing to see the results that I want to see. So that is kind of how my nutrition progressed. And, you know, I was a much higher body weight than my target body weight. I don't know if I'm actually going to target getting back down to 164 while I'm still breastfeeding. I'm going to continue to measure my effort to reward ratio. Um, I know that sometimes, and I promise you, I'm going to be one of these people, (laughs) uh, bodies can hold on to extra body fat to make sure that your body has the energy stores that it needs to produce breast milk. Like I'm saying, my weight loss journey has already been slow and taken a lot of effort. Um, So my body is not releasing body fat (laughs) very easily. And that's okay. So I don't know if I'll get back down to 164 while I'm breastfeeding. but I am using that number to determine my protein target. So um, my protein target, how you calculate that is you take your either current body weight or your target body weight. You multiply that number by 0.7 and by 1. That is your ideal protein range for muscle maintenance um, and body recomposition. So right now, 
I am closer to that one gram per pound of body weight target. I'm aiming to get close to 150 to 160 grams of protein per day. As I continue to get closer and closer to that target weight, I can head down that range and be more in the middle of, you know, like 0.8 to 0.9 instead of one gram per pound. This is also something to be aware of. Yeah, if you have more than about 30 pounds to lose, right? So um, as I say that I was taking my body weight at 199 and setting this protein target. One gram of protein per pound of body weight would have me aiming for 199 grams of protein, which is insane. It's completely not doable and not necessary. So that's why I'm working off of my target weight, but I am aiming for the, the higher end of that target weight in, as far as my protein intake goes. Then from that, I have a fiber goal. I'm aiming for at least 25 to 35 grams of fiber per day. And honestly, most of the time I blow that out of the water and I'm like in the 40s or 50s. I look at this fiber goal as your safeguard to your diet quality, making sure that we're still including all those foods like fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, legumes, things that include fiber that add that micronutrient density to our diet. And, you know, if you're hitting your fiber target, then you're probably getting like lots of varied vitamins and minerals as well. So that's why I like to have that target. Um, And then my calorie target. Calorie targets vary person by person, just like your protein does. Um, Fiber is a little less varied because, you know, research shows that a certain amount of fiber is beneficial to humans in general. doesn't really matter how big or small you are. (laughs) We want to strive for that 25 to 35 grams of fiber as a woman. And a man's fiber target is a little bit higher than that, like 35 to 45 um, would be more appropriate. So that's less varied um, than your protein target and your calorie target. I'll tell you, you know, I'm aiming for a 2000 calorie average, which is amazing. That's not low calorie by any means. So it's been really cool to see myself making progress, aiming for that calorie average, and still be able to maintain my milk supply as well. Your calorie target is determined based on your BMR and your total daily energy expenditure. Your BMR is your basal metabolic rate. That is what your body burns at rest. That does not include any activity, any exercise, anything outside of basically like your inherent body functions. Your total daily energy expenditure also includes your NEAT, your daily um, activity outside of exercise, as well as your exercise. And for a postpartum woman who's breastfeeding, it also includes the energy that your body is using to produce breast milk, um, which is typically an additional like 300 to 400 calories per day. So with my BMR and my total daily energy expenditure being where they are, that 2000 calorie mark is in a really sweet spot where I am giving my body enough calories to maintain efficient bodily functions and produce breast milk, but under my total daily energy expenditure to put me in that mild calorie deficit where I'm seeing fat loss. So again, that number is unique to everyone. And this is what I calculate and help you reach 
in my one-on-one coaching process, also in the macronutrient assessment protocol groups. I'll probably do one of those in the new year um, or maybe even in December as well. So from that point of the day I gave birth up until, you know, my six weeks postpartum, just to give you kind of a realistic picture of what my what the skill was saying during this time. I have no problem telling you my real numbers and just to give some context there, I am 59. I am I wouldn't describe myself as like big boned, but I have never been naturally thin. Like I have always been athletic, muscular. I've always had a very like womanly shape of kind of an hourglass figure. That's just how I'm built. I've literally been this way since the eighth grade. (laughs) So I went when I was at home last month, um, I was cleaning out one of the closets in my, my old bedroom at my parents' house. And I found my old cheerleading bag and it still had some of my practice skorts from when I was a cheerleader in my freshman and sophomore years of high school. And my old cheerleading squirts still fit me, which is just, that's not to say like, oh, I fit in my clothes that I wore in high school. That's to show that I was this big in high school. <laughs> like I was an early developer. I have always been this way, close to this size. It's just the way that I'm built. So I am a taller and bigger person by nature. So Before pregnancy, I was 164 pounds, which is a really just maintainable place for me. That's where I feel very comfortable in the low 160s, like 160 to 165 is where I feel my best. Um, It's very easy for me to maintain. And that was the place that I was sitting for probably close to five years before I got pregnant. So in pregnancy, If you followed my story, you know that I was two weeks overdue. (laughs) And I stopped looking at the scale once I hit 41 weeks because I just couldn't do it anymore. I was so over it. It's not that I was scared to look, but I was just so done with the process in general that I just didn't want to think about anything or have anything to do with it. Um, (laughs) And I could just tell that I was continuing to gain fluid just by the way my ankles looked. They looked like straight hot dogs. But the last time I checked at 41 weeks pregnant, I was near 225-ish. So that looked like me gaining about 55 pounds. And honestly, it may have been closer to 60 pounds, you know, the day I actually gave birth. And then by 10 days postpartum, I was already back down to 199. So that had nothing to do. (laughs) I mean, it may have had a little to do with my eating habits, but really it didn't. That initial huge weight loss just comes from your fluid and your blood volume regulating after you give birth. But it did, you know, stop drastically. The scale did stop drastically moving down past that point. So once I got down to 199 and it was, you know, kind of staying there for a bit of time, I knew that that was probably my starting point for looking at how much weight I needed to actually work to lose postpartum. So 
from 10 days to four weeks postpartum, I went from 199 to 195. And then eight weeks postpartum, I went down to 188. 12 weeks postpartum, 187. (laughs) 16 weeks postpartum, 184. And then 20 weeks postpartum, which is current, 182. So as you can tell, besides that first huge initial drop in weight, which again is driven by fluid and blood volume, it's not (laughs) driven by actual fat loss. And a little side note, This is why you can see those drastic changes on the scale when you're altering your carbohydrate or your fluid slash electrolyte intake. It's water weight. Your body, you know, is it has a lot of water. We all know that the majority of our body is water. We learned that in like elementary school. So there's a lot of wiggle room to play with the fluid that your body is holding. Lots of different things can make us hold on to fluid. And lots of different things can make us flush fluid. That goes into what you see on the scale. That is not actually indicative of body composition or fat loss at all. So many times, you know, when people crash diet or go on a cleanse, go on a super low carb diet, when you see that really, really quick initial weight drop of, you know, eight pounds, 10 pounds in like four days or something, that's not legitimate fat loss. That is absolutely fluid fluctuations. And the second you either come off that diet or start eating carbohydrates again, (laughs) your body fluid will regulate and the scale will shoot back up. So just know that what we see on the scale is influenced by so many different things and our body weight is influenced by so many different things. It's not just about, you know, our muscle versus body fat, right? We have our bone structure. We have our blood volume, our fluids. All those things go into the number that we see on the scale. And there are different ways to manipulate the amount of fluid that you're holding onto. And there are things that impact the fluid that we hold onto that we really can't control, right? That are outside of our direct control. Like elevated cortisol is correlated with water retention. We can't control what our cortisol levels are, right? We can work on stress relieving behavior, but we can't control (laughs) our cortisol levels. So, okay, that was just a little side note there on how fluid affects this scale. But as you can see in my weight progression in my weight loss journey postpartum so far, this is not a fast process. <laughs> this is not like a, a quick fix by any means at all. My average is losing about half a pound of fat per week for 20 weeks now, which it sounds like not a lot if you're looking at it even week to week or just at one month at a time. And something that absolutely just drives me insane is when one pound, two pounds, when that is not recognized as legitimate progress, because it absolutely is. Imagine, you know, going from eight weeks to 12 weeks when I lost one pound. Imagine if I'd given up at that point. It just drives me insane that we can't pull back and see how everything is going to add up. One pound over the, you know, if you lost one pound a month over the course of a year, that's 12 pounds. That is 
a legitimate amount of fat loss, especially if you're just looking at your insulin sensitivity and your energy throughout the day and your hormone regulation. Losing that amount of weight absolutely can impact, you know, having you feel better and how your clothes fit and different things, especially if you're on a body recomposition journey where you're not just looking at, okay, I want to lose weight. That's a lot different than wanting to reach a healthful body composition and wanting to maintain or gain muscle and lose fat at the same time. This is a slower process because it requires that you not be in a severe calorie deficit. This is because if you're in a severe calorie deficit, your body is going to break down your muscle to provide your body with energy. When you're looking for body recomposition, you want to maintain as much muscle as possible. So that just takes the option of being in a severe calorie deficit off the table. So while being in a very deep calorie deficit would produce faster results, would produce, quote unquote, more weight loss more quickly, it's not actually the kind of weight loss we want if we're looking at producing healthful outcomes. So, and in addition to that, I have a goal of being able to breastfeed my baby. So cutting calories and being in a severe deficit can absolutely impact your milk supply. So it was my goal to maintain my milk supply, but still be able to see progress. I knew going into it, it was going to be slow. It was going to be a grind. (laughs) And I knew that I would not be one of those people where, oh, I'm breastfeeding and the weight just fell off. That's not me. That's never been me. I've never accidentally lost weight. (laughs) That's just not a part of my journey, okay? (laughs) That's not who I am as a person. (laughs) And I know that. I had zero expectations of that being the case. So I think entering into it with a very realistic expectation as well of this is going to take effort. I know it's going to feel hard and I know it's going to take time, but that's okay. Anything worthwhile that you want to do the right way is going to take effort and it's going to take time. The time is going to pass regardless. If you need some encouragement in this sense, go back to the episode titled Common Characteristics of My Most Successful Clients. I talk about all of these things, setting realistic expectations. Um, And I so enjoyed recording that episode because, you know, it was like a pep talk for me as well as I go through this journey myself. So go back to that episode and listen to it if you want to hear more about the mindset that you need uh, when you're embarking on this type of uh, pursuit, because it does take a very specific mindset to make sure that you can stay committed. The next thing that I wanted to talk about is, and it kind of goes hand in hand with, with having realistic expectations, but it's just being very clear on what your goal is. And for me, my goal when it comes to my nutrition and what I'm doing here right now is to maintain milk supply and to progress toward a fitter body composition, less fat, more muscle. This is because I know what it feels like on the other side, and I know that it's worth it to me to feel the way I feel when I'm at a body composition that is higher in muscle and and lower in fat than the current body that I'm in. 
doesn't mean that I don't love and respect the current body that I'm in. It just went through a very tumultuous event of a huge impactful event. It was able to carry my baby full term and beyond, um, produce a healthy baby, provide nourishment for my baby. I love this body and what it's able to do. I know that for me, I feel my best physically, mentally, emotionally when I am at a slightly fitter body composition than I am currently. And that's cool. I don't think it has to mean any more or less than that. My feeling worthy based on my body is, or feeling worthy or unworthy based on what my body looks like, that ship has sailed. I've gone through that. I've worked through that. And I can identify when I'm having a poor body image day, what are the triggers of that? And it's not because I'm truly feeling unworthy or I, or I can't pull back and appreciate my body the way it is. So sometimes your nutrition and being committed to movement is just because you know that it's the best thing for you. It doesn't have to be this huge values-driven thing. It can just be, this is what I know I have to do to feel the way I want to feel. And you can either choose to do it or not. (laughs) So in that same vein, being very clear with what your goal is, knowing what to do to get to that goal, and then also knowing it's a choice. It is a choice. I am choosing to focus on this right now. And I could choose not to. So every time that I'm thinking either this feels really hard or I'm disappointed in my progress or I wish this was going faster, I come back to myself and I say, I'm choosing this. I don't have to do this. No one's telling me I should do this. This isn't impacted by any outside expectation. I'm choosing to do this. So if I want to want to choose to put it on the back burner and take a break, I could choose to do that too. Every day I wake up and I make a choice to stay committed to this goal. And knowing that it's a choice, knowing that it's something that I have decided to do makes all the difference in the world. This is a personality test that I have all of my clients do. Um, it's Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies Quiz. And it is like a personality test that tells you how you react to expectations. And there's two different types of expectations, internal expectations and external expectations. There's four different types of tendencies in how you react to these expectations. So there's obliger, upholder, questioner, and rebel. The obliger resists internal expectations, but prioritizes external expectations. The upholder upholds all expectations, internal and external. A questioner resists any expectation that they haven't decided is what's best for them. And a rebel resists all expectations. (laughs) So I am a questioner. I don't do anything unless I decide that I think that's what's right. So it, and it can be, you know, an external source. I have no problem following authority if I agree with what that authority is saying, or it can be internal where I'm not going to do something until I decide that it's what I want to do. And I decide that that makes sense for me. Again, I've always been this way. You can ask my parents. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's their like some of their favorite stories to tell of, you know, when I was a toddler and they would give me options and I would I would have to choose when I was going to do something or, you know, I would throw a fit and not do it. I have a twin brother. He I think the story is about learning how to ride a bike. He rode a bike weeks and or months before me. I'm not really sure. Um, and I wouldn't do it until I decided that I wanted to. Um, I was not pressured by any external expectations. But once I agreed with what was going on and decided it was best for me, then, you know, I would go ahead and do that thing. So <laughs> it's a really insightful way to look at yourself um, and just get to know yourself better. So go look up Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies Quiz. Um, and take that if you're curious about how you react to expectations. And honestly, you can probably already know which one you are based on what resonates with you. <laughs> My husband is a rebel tendency, which is just hilarious because you resist all expectations. Anytime you feel like you're obligated or you should do anything, you just automatically resist it, even if it's something that's coming internally, which is interesting. and. <laughs> so, and then the obliger thrives with more accountability because they oblige to outside expectations, but have a problem upholding internal expectations. Um, and then an upholder, you know, upholds all expectations. Um, these are the kind of classic rule follower type A type people. So based on this tendency, and this is why I have my clients take this, how we present nutrition information and how we go about um, adding structure, adding the framework of PC plates into max snacks, adding macro tracking can all be tailored to your natural tendency and not saying, you know, this is how I am and I can't change, but being able to work with yourself. Like if you knew you were a questioner and you just needed more information to be able to decide that this was what's best for you, I could provide that for you. I have information out the wazoo and we can talk through it together until you come to the conclusion that, okay, this is the strategy that I have chosen that I think is best for me. And then we can go from there. You know, if you're an obliger, having a nutrition coach can change the game because it provides that outside accountability that's really hard for obligers to apply to themselves. And then, you know, if you're a rebel tendency, you kind of have to like Jedi mind trick yourself into rebelling against your rebellious tendencies <laughs> and showing yourself that, you know what, I can do things that aren't in my nature. I can do this and prove myself wrong, you know? So anyway, that tendency just cracks me up. But knowing that what you're doing, what you're choosing to do is a choice that you are making, that's an absolute game changer for me and allows me to stay committed to what I'm doing. And, you know, just to kind of talk through some more things that I'm experiencing because success um, is definitely not only indicated by what the scale is saying. It's been really fun to continue feeling better and better in my workouts and be able to add weight as I'm losing weight. Um, you know, all of my lifts, I think almost all of my lifts, yeah, have gone up. And it's been a really kind of a slow progression from getting back into resistance training after giving birth. 
um, and working my way up again to the heavier weights, especially for legs. For a long time, I was using my body weight and it was killer. (laughs) Um, I follow Evlo Fitness programming. I do their five time a week track and all the workouts are 35 minutes. I just can't speak highly enough of it, especially now when I don't have the type of time that I used to. I truly do not. And I also know that I have more time than a lot of people. I work from home. I make my own schedule. When my husband, David, comes home, you know, I can ask him. And, you know, I don't have to ask him. He's a very active father. He comes home and, you know, wants to spend time with the baby. Um, And I can do things like record this podcast (laughs) or work out or do what I need to do that fits within, you know, about an hour time frame before MK loses her mind because she needs her mama. So just to say, it's crucial to find a program that works in the season of life that you are currently in. (laughs) I don't think that I will ever switch from this workout program because being able to strength train for 35 minutes and see the results that you're seeing is, I mean, it's just unmatched. So I absolutely love it. Circling back around to the non, this non-scale win of being able to feel better in your workouts and be able to add more weight and see your strength increase, see your stamina increase. When I would walk on the treadmill when I was pregnant, I would walk at a zero incline at two miles per hour. And that was so difficult. Like, I mean, I was waddling. After I gave birth and recovering, you know, I was probably going even slower than that when I was, it literally felt like I was learning to walk again, you know? So being able to increase speed and incline and see my cardiovascular fitness return, that's been super fun. And I've loved going through that experience. Being able to fit in some of my pre-pregnancy clothes again. It's really fun, especially heading into the winter. And I think I've decided that this is the best time to be in postpartum recovery because, you know, all of my winter clothes are bigger and baggier anyway. (laughs) So I'm fitting in a lot more of those things than I would be like my summer clothes. (laughs) So that's been really fun to kind of go shopping in my closet again and find clothes that fit. Another non-scale win is just being able to be proud of myself for being committed to me and knowing that I truly am better. I'm a better wife. I'm a better mom when I'm focusing on these things that make me feel better. And it's not about me. It's because I know I'm better when I'm doing these things. Okay. So That's really what I wanted to let you in on. I just wanted to be able to chat a little bit more openly and detailed about what I'm doing and where my mind is in helping me reach these goals. So um, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, I'm taking one-on-one clients. If you want help through this journey yourself, even if you're not postpartum, looking for help, insight into you know, improving body composition. This is what I love to do. And this is what I'm here for. So please reach out to me, schedule a free initial consultation call. I'm also doing my Black Friday deal right now. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot to mention that. 
This is honestly the best time to be a one-on-one client. Through the holidays, having the support I think is truly invaluable. Plus, you get a really, really good deal. <laughs> My Black Friday deal this this year is buy three months, get one month free. Buy six months, get two months free. Buy nine months, get three months free. So I'm really excited about it. If you have any interest at all, you want to schedule a call, um, you can find that linked at the bottom of this episode or through my Instagram profile as well. So thanks, you guys, for listening to this episode. And I'll be back in a couple weeks with the next one. Hope you have a great rest of your day. But wait, (laughs) before you go, I'd love it if you'd share this episode with a friend who needs it. And to make sure we stay connected, find me on social media at hopewell underscore health. Or for more information about my nutrition coaching services, check out my website, hopewellhealth.online. And always remember, you are smart, capable, and talented. You have what it takes. I'm just here to educate and encourage you along the way. Catch you next time.